You know, it is just a, a, a blessing to be together on the first day of the week. What this day means to us as New Testament Christians ought to be something that just, uh, just thrills our hearts to be able to, to just be together. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to reserve my parting remarks till this evening, and so uh, if you want to hear them, you have to come back. But uh, I, I want to begin our study this, this morning. Uh, you know, I told Sue, I said, uh, I, I like this shirt that I got on, but I said I wouldn't have worn it if I realized it didn't have a pocket. <laughs> and so, so I'd put my glasses up here and they get hung up, and I'm just a mess uh, when, when those kind of things happen. But anyway, uh, I, I want to kind of continue a little bit, not, not really, uh, and some of the things that we talked about in the, uh, in the 9 o'clock period, uh, although I want to deal with the resurrection just a little bit, but I, I want to do so from a different perspective, if I might. You know, in the 20th chapter of, of the Gospel of John, we, we find that, the, you know, the resurrection or the death of Christ has already occurred and uh, that the resurrection has already taken place as well. But in, in the 20th chapter of the book of John, we find uh, you know, Mary coming to the tomb, and uh, when she gets there, she finds that the tomb is empty, that the body of Jesus is no longer there. And so this is causing her a great deal of perplexion. She just is at a loss as to figure out what is going on. But I'll, I'll just put a few verses up on the screen and, and focus upon something that is said here. The Bible says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, I want to I ask what I consider to be an interesting question. And I hope it's one that will be provocative for each one of us. But when that occurred, when Mary was at the tomb of Jesus and found that the tomb was empty, what is it do you think was her focus? What was it that Mary was focused upon that morning? This, this bright Sunday morning, this resurrection morning that Mary goes to the tomb, what was it that precipitated her visit? Why, 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 why did she go there? What, what propelled her to go to the tomb that, that, that Sunday morning? Now, again, you know, I, I realize what the answer to that is, and all of us probably had already, you know, run that through our minds just a little bit, but let me kind of pose it a little differently. Well, you know, what, what brought Mary there? What drove her to the tomb that, that Sunday morning? Was it that she wanted to be with the disciples that had followed Jesus throughout his three and a half year ministry upon this earth? Is that what drew her there? Was she drawn there because she wanted to be with a certain group of disciples? Or maybe we could say, well, was she drawn there because she wanted to be with the apostles? Did she want to, you know, draw close to Peter and John and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and uh, Simon and others? Is that what drew her there? 
in order to be with the, with, with, with the apostles of the Lord. Or maybe, you know, she has an encounter with the gardener there. Maybe she knew him and she wanted to be around the gardener and see what the gardener had to say. So what was it that drew her? Maybe it was the angels that were in the tomb. Is that what drew her to the tomb? You know, that would be a miraculous thing to be able to speak to angels and have angels speak back to you. And that would be a great experience, something you could share with your children and your grandchildren. But is that what drew Mary to the tomb? No. Mary's focus at that time was upon Jesus. She came to the tomb because of her concern for the Lord. That was what drew her to the tomb. Nothing and no one was more important to her on this resurrection morning than to be near the body of Jesus Christ. Now she had no idea at that time that he'd been raised and she was confused and she was a little baffled about that, but her focus was upon Jesus. That is what she was focused upon. Nothing else mattered to her. It was Jesus. And after all, now you think about this. The Bible says in Revelation 1 and verse 8 that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so if he's first and last, as he goes on to say in, in verse 17 of Revelation 1, if he's first and last, the Alpha and the Omega, he fills in all in between. And so Jesus is then everything. You know, we sing sometimes, do we not? Uh, Jesus is all the world to me. Really? Or we may sing the song, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. Is that so? Is that a fact? Or we say, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Really? Now, you know, those are good songs, and I'm not despairing those songs at all. They're good songs. I love them each one. But when we sing that, is that really our focus? Is Jesus really the focus of our life? It was the fo- Jesus was the focus of Mary when she went to the tomb. And I'll tell you, Jesus needs to be the focus of our life as well. Remember Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. That is the focus of every single Christian. Furthermore, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is a... You notice what Paul said? I know him in whom I have believed. So the faith of the Apostle Paul was anchored in the Lord Jesus. It was anchored in a person. We are to confess with the mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's the focus. And that has to be our focus as well. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that, you know, all the things that he achieved in life. You know, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. Uh, You know, all of these things, Paul said, I, I, I count them as nothing. And the reason that I count them as nothing is because I want to... I, I, you, you know, I, I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. That, that's what Paul, that's, that was his interest. And that must be our interest as well. But have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed, ladies and gentlemen, how prone we are to make someone or something else the focus of our religious experience? And that, 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 that's disturbing to me. You know, what, 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 is it, what, what, what drew Mary to the tomb? What drew Mary to the tomb? of It was Jesus. 
And, and just think about what, what, what is it that draws us? You know, what's the focus of our religious experience? Is it, is it our family? Is, is what I am because of my family? You know, just think about that. If, if, if I had been raised in a Muslim country, would I be a Muslim because that's my family? Am I, uh, am I a Christian simply because that's the way that I was raised? And maybe I was raised that way as, a, you know, as far as my political leanings are concerned because those were the leanings of my family. Is this what draws me? What's the focus of my religious experience? Is it the church? Is it the preacher? Is it the elders? What is it that is the focus of my religious experience? You know, most times we, we, you know, we talk about the church in that way, like this is the focus. You know, when you, you well, you know, uh, so-and-so, they, they came into the church. Or we talk about, well, you know, so-and-so, well, she fell away from the church. Or we talk about, well, you know, they, 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 they've uh, uh, brought reproach upon the church. Now, I get it. I understand those terminologies. I do. I really do. But as a matter of fact, we, we, we are to love that relationship that we have with other Christians. We, you know, we, that, that's very important. I, I get it. We're, we're to love the brotherhood. We're a community of one another. But we have to remember, even though we love one another, and we're a brotherhood, and we're a community of one another, our focus must be upon Jesus. That must be the driving force of our religious experience. He's the heart and the core and the center and the foundation of all things. It's like Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This has got to be our focus because when you consider it, Jesus is the focus of everything. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Jesus is the focus, ladies and gentlemen, of all biblical revelation. He is the focus from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Jesus is the focus of all of God's revelation. Now, I know there are a lot of stories in the scriptures that are very meaningful to us. And I know there's a lot of accounts in the Bible that we love to study that we do so and maybe not even think about Jesus. But what we need to understand is Jesus is the focus of all revelation, whether we understand that appreciate it or not. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5 and verse 17, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. And he couldn't fulfill them unless they focused upon him. You know, I get kind of put out sometimes when I hear somebody say, well, you know, I don't think we ought to spend a lot of time in the old Bible. What do you mean? Well, we live under the New Testament. We live under the New Covenant. We just need to be studying the New Testament. Wait a minute. Do you not understand that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets? They all point to Him. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, He reminded those disciples that He came to fulfill all that was written in the prophets and in the Psalms uh, and in the law concerning me. He said, I came to fulfill all of those things. Jesus is the focus of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you remember in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke when Jesus entered into the synagogue 
And you know what he did? He stood up to read as was his custom in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. And what did he read? He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, that is he had unscrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovered of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, that sounds good. Isaiah wrote that. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Notice what he said. Today, this scripture from the book of Isaiah, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now what Isaiah said in chapter 49, that's fulfilled in, in, in your hearing. You include Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Michael 4, and you can go on and on and on. All of these focused upon Jesus. And there isn't any wonder then that Paul was able to say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 that the, that the law is our schoolmaster, it's our tutor that will bring us to Christ because he is the focus of all revelation. I want you to notice as we look into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3 and in verse 18, what was it that Peter said? Peter said that speaking of God, that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. And then stay in that same chapter, verse 20, or verse 22, or 22 rather. For truly, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Who's he have in mind? He has Jesus in mind. That's something that Moses foretold. And verse 24, yes, all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed as many as have spoken have also foretold of these days. Jesus is the focus of all the prophets. He's the focus of all of God's revelation. You know, that's why Jesus said one time to a group of people that he was, he was speaking to, the Pharisees and others in John chapter 5, and, you know, they were studious. They, they loved reading the law. They loved, you know, putting their traditions all around the law. They loved the law. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. That is, you think you're going to be saved just because you're spending a lot of time reading. He said, you, 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 but they are they, he said, which testify of me. But you will not come to me so that you may have life. And the reason that he was able to say that is because he is the focus of all revelation. And I tell you, that's true of the New Testament as well. You know, I, I, I'm not going to put all, all, all 27 books of the New Testament up to, to give you an illustration of this. I'll, I'll just list a few. But what we need to understand is that all the New Testament focus, the focus of all the New Testament is upon Jesus Matthew, you read the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's focus is Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. Mark points out Jesus is the servant of God. Luke, he is the Savior of all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. 
John, as we noted in, the, in our series, John's emphasis is that Jesus is God in human flesh. The book of Acts, you want the Acts, yeah, you know, you talk about, well, that's a, that's a history. Yes, it is. But I'll tell you what the book of Acts is. It shows us the witnesses that went out throughout the world for Christ. Colossians, the preeminence of Christ. And the same would be true with the book of Ephesians. Hebrews, Christ is God's final spokesman. And the book of Revelation, victory in Jesus. He is going to conquer. He's going to be victorious no matter what it is that we face in this life. Jesus is the focus of all revelation. No wonder, my friends, it's absolutely no wonder then that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God because Jesus is the focus of that word. And there is no salvation in any other name than Jesus. But not only is Jesus the focus of all revelation, Jesus is to be the focus of all gospel preaching. Colossians 1 and verse 28, Paul said, Him we preach. Jesus he's talking about here. Him we preach. Warning every man. And the reason is so that we can present every man. Perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the point here, you see. And when you survey the book of Acts, one of the things that you notice is that Jesus is the heart and the center and the focus of every gospel message. I want you to notice. In Acts 2, verse 22, men of, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus was the focus of the preaching of the Apostle Peter. In chapter 4 and verse 10, again it said, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Peter, or Philip went into Samaria and what did he do? He preached Christ to those people. In verse 12 of that same chapter, you see that that preaching of Christ would have included preaching the, the name or the authority of Christ, preaching the kingdom of God. And those people were baptized, and so that was part of the message as well. But he preached Christ. Christ was the focus. Christ was the center. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, with the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip began at that scripture, Isaiah 53. And what did he do? He preached Christ to him. And when Paul went to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he said, I, 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 you know, I come not knowing anything among you other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the message that Paul preached. And in this 21st century, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we have to begin again to focus upon Jesus as the core and the heart of our preaching, all gospel preaching. If we hope to win anyone to Christ or restore the erring, needs to focus upon Jesus. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Let, me. let me put a caveat to this. Don't, don't misunderstand. I am not standing up here telling you that we need to just preach the man and not the plan. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that we are to ignore issues. No, I'm not saying that. We need to deal with issues. No sound gospel preacher would ever eliminate preaching on issues or preaching uh, the plan of salvation. No, not at all. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am saying to you is that no matter what subject we deal with, no matter what issue we are preaching, 
we need to bring it back to focus upon Jesus. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let, 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 let me show you what I mean. For example, I'm going to preach on the church. I'm going to preach on the kingdom. But you know what it's all going to boil down to? Uh, Jesus is the head. He is the king. Jesus is the focus. I'm going to deal with the church. And I'm going to deal with issues that are facing the church. You can, you can count on that. But the reason that I'm doing that is because it is an attack upon the Lord. It is an attack upon the head. It's an attack upon the kingdom. And I'll talk about the work of the church and how that we're to be evangelistic and we're be, to be benevolent to one another and we're to edify one another. I'm going to deal with those things and I'm going to point out things that are contrary to the teaching of Scripture. But the reason that I do that is because it's an attack upon the authority of our head. It's an attack upon Jesus. Yeah, I'll deal with worship. I'll deal with singing without using an instrument of music, and I'll deal with prayer without counting beads, and I'll deal with how we collectively worship God. But I'll do that because we're honoring Jesus. He's the focus of that. Morality, you bet you I'm going to deal with morality. Immodesty, ungodliness, pornography, fornication, I'll deal with all of those things. But again... It's because we that have that hope within us, we purify ourselves even as He is pure. 1 John chapter 3. That purity is anchored in the purity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism? Yeah, I'm going to deal with baptism. I'm going to deal with baptism exactly like Peter did and Philip did and all those in the New Testament dealt with it because when you're baptized, you're baptized into our Lord. He's the focus of that. Family issues, I'll deal with family issues too, but I'll do it from the standpoint that Jesus is not only Lord and King, He's over all things. And I, as a husband, you know I need to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. You see, He's the focus of that relationship. Wives, you're to be in submission to your husbands as the church is submission to the Lord. He's the head of that relationship. We cannot divorce Jesus from any of the issues that we talk about. Somebody needs to repent, you need to turn back to the Lord. You've left the Lord. You've brought reproach upon the Lord. Obedience? Yeah, we need to obey. We can't minimize our need to be obedient to the Lord. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's all about Him. And evangelism? Yeah, we need to be active in evangelism. And what that means is we're trying to present every man perfect in Christ. We're trying to bring people to Jesus. I think about... I think about what Paul said about Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, Timothy, from childhood you've known the Holy Scripture. What Scripture did Timothy know? You've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation which is by faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus is to be the focus of all of our teaching and all of our preaching regardless of the issue that we're dealing with or the subject matter that we're dealing with. In every message, regardless, we need to focus upon Jesus, our Lord, our King, and our Head. Jesus is to be the focus of all redemption. He said, Jerry, I know that. Well, I, let me deal with it from a standpoint that sometimes I think we struggle with. 
You know, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 that redemption is in him, in his blood. Paul also said the same thing, you remember, over in the book of Colossians. After he points out that, you know, in, in becoming a Christian, that we are translated or delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And that's verse 13 of, of Colossians 1. Verse 14 continues, In whom, that is in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption. How? Through His blood. What does that mean? The forgiveness of sins. And here's where I want to go with that. And I want you to remember. Salvation is not organizational. It is individual. It is personal. It is in Christ. That is something that is crucial for us to remember. It is not organizational. It is individual. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. And speaking of himself, in John 10 and verse, uh, we'll, we'll just start, well, let's, let's start about verse 7. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is John 10 and verse 7. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the source of our salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. No man comes to the Father but by me. Salvation is individual. It's, it's an individual who personally comes to the Lord on his terms. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I did not become a member of the church in order to be saved. No. I am a member of the church because I am saved. That's something we need to understand and we need to remember. Acts 2 and verse 47, the Lord adds the saved to the church. Sometimes we get this backwards. Sometimes we think we've got to get in the church in order for the church to save us. No, we're in the church because we're part of the saved. We're redeemed individually by the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb slain, from the foundation of the world, John Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Yes, that means the church is the purchased. It is. You know, Paul points that to the Ephesian elders. That you shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I get it. I recognize that. But it's one at a time. We emphasized that the other evening. Every time a person hears the gospel of Christ and surrenders to that and is baptized into the blood of Christ, that person is redeemed by that blood, and then that person is added to all the redeemed. It is individual. Conversion to Christ, or conversion is to Christ. It's not to anyone or anything else. When I'm baptized, I'm baptized into Christ. And when, I, when that occurs, I'm then added to the body. I'm added to the church, the body of the saved. But I'm not converted to anything other than Christ. I'm not converted to the church. I'm not converted to the elders. I'm not converted to the preacher. I, 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 I'm, I'm not converted to my family. I'm converted to Jesus. That's why Paul could say, I know him in whom I have believed. 
Jesus is the focus of our redemption. Jesus is the focus of our obedience. Everything that I do, I do in reference and in deference to Christ. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 23. What I do, I, I do because of my love for the Lord. What, what, what I, how, I, how I serve is due to my relationship to the Lord. I, I, I love the Lord. That, that's the reason that, you know, you know I, I, I tell people that, you know, not only is Jesus the reason for the things we do, He is the things we do. And we cannot, get, we, we cannot lose that focus. When, when I worship, when I pray, when I study, all of these things that I do, are not, that, that's not to earn points so that Lord, the Lord look at me and say, J.R., you're a good guy, I'm going to just take you into heaven because you're all prayed up and you're all paid up and you're all worshipped up. No. I, 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 I do these things because I love my Lord and He is the focus of all that I do. And I'm going to tell you, what I do is not burdensome. It's not heavy. When you love somebody, it's not a burden. It's not heavy. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, this is the love of God. And we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. It just makes all the difference what your focus is. Our focus, the focus of our obedience is Jesus. And Jesus is the focus of my heart, my soul, and my life. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is the focus of our lives. I, I remember... Many, many years ago, upon becoming a Christian, there were guys that I worked with when I was employed in secular work. They, 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 they would often say to me, they, they, they would say, well, now, Jr. after work, we're going we're gonna to stop off down here, and they would name this little bar, and we're, we're just going to kind of unwind, and we're gonna, we know you don't drink. But why don't you just, you know, just stop off with us and go in. You can have a Pepsi or you can have a root beer, whatever you want. You don't have to drink. Just, we, we just socialize. I said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. And, they, you know, they, they couldn't understand that. Sometimes they would look at me and they said, well, you know, now, now, now that you're a Christian, what, what are you just too good? Are you too good to hang out with us? Are you too good to go in there? You know what my response was? My response is absolutely not. I am not too good. But I'll tell you what. He who lives in my heart is too good for me to take in there and I'm not going in there. Because Christ is the heart and the soul and the life of every believer. Paul said in Philippians 1 and verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is the reason. To live, he's the reason to face tomorrow. 
Jesus is what makes life worth living. I try to tell people he's the air that we breathe. Just, you know, we talk about being saved in hope. Jesus is the reason for that hope. That's the atmosphere in which we live. I, I know we gotta, we, we got to muddle our way through life. I, I get it. But you know what? The world is not my air. It's not my breath. It's not the reason for, I, for me to live. I, you know, I look at all the evil that's in the world. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's easy to get depressed. When you look at all the rioting that has occurred and all the hate and all the racial animus that's there, and you look at pandemics and you look at uh, uh, viruses and diseases and all of these things that's happening, you look at the abortion, you look at what's happening to the most vulnerable among us, the mutilation of little children, and you see all of this, and, and man, I tell you, it just closes in on you. But when we can stay focused upon Jesus, and we can recognize that, yeah, this world is in the clutches of Satan. There's any question about Satan being the God of this world. But I'm telling you, my focus is upon the Lord. As Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 8, if I live, I live to the Lord. And if I die, I die unto the Lord. There's something better than what this world has to offer. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises, the hope that he provides. I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's like this. If I'm active in the church, it's because Christ is active in my life. And, and, and if I'm zealous for the work of God, it's because my heart is filled with zeal for the Lord. And if I love my brethren, it's, it's because my soul is filled with the love of Christ. Don't you see the, the connection there? If Jesus is the center and He's the focus of my life, I can weather any storm that I face. I can deal with any problem that may come my way, with any disaster, because Jesus is the heart, the soul, the core. But if my faith, if my faith is anchored in anything else, if my faith is anchored in the church, that church may disappoint me. Jesus won't. If my faith is anchored in a man or in a woman, that man or that woman may disappoint me, may hurt me, may shatter me. But Jesus will never disappoint. He will never hurt, nor will he ever shatter. If my faith is anchored in anything other than Jesus, then I will falter, I will stumble, and I will fail. Don't you see? Jesus is the focus of everything. And if my faith is anchored in him, then I'll never be disappointed. I, 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 you know what I do? When I go to talk to somebody that has stopped worshiping or have, have, has gone into the world, and, and I go talk to them, you know, you know what I don't say? I don't go over there and say, you know, we sure have missed you at church lately. Now, I'm okay if people say that, but that, that's not what I do. I, I don't say, we, we, we sure have missed you. We sure like to see your smiling face back at worship. No, I, I don't say that. What I do is I go into them and I say, I, I want you to explain to me, how did Jesus disappoint you? What, what did Jesus do to disappoint you? and cause you not to want to worship Him anymore. 
And you'd be surprised at the answers that you do not get when you ask that question. Because that's what it's all about. When somebody stops worshiping, they haven't quit the church. Oh, I get it. I, I know what's meant by that. But what they've done is they've bailed on the Lord. And they've said to the Lord, your death, your sacrifice, and your love is meaningless to me. But when Jesus is living within your heart by faith, then I'm going to tell you it's going to change the way that you look at life. He's the focus. He, he's the one in, in John 6, in verse 68. He's the one. He's the only one who has the words of eternal life. He's the only one who's able to say, Come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the only one that can say that. And so, why do I call him Lord and do not what he says? He's been asking that question for more than 2,000 years. What about you? What's the focus of your life? What's, what's the reason that you're here this morning? Is it Jesus and him crucified? Is it Jesus and him raised from the dead? Why don't you make him the focus of your life? And, and, and be real about this. Don't, 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 just, don't just play at religion. If you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, turn from a life of sin. Turn to him. Repent to God. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And allow someone to baptize you in water this morning. Having your sins washed away, be raised to walk in newness of life. And then walk with the Lord for the rest of the time that you're here upon this earth. If you've done that and you've drifted back and you've done like Demas, you, you, you've forsaken, having loved this present world, why don't you come back? Come back to the Lord this morning. We can help you in any way. Why don't you come right now? As together we stand as we sing.